live from Casa del Rio in Nashville, Tennessee, just down the river from the Grand Ole Opry. It's the Dreamers Road with Stephanie Urbina-Jones and the Honky Tonk Mariachi. Grab a seat, grab a drink, saddle up, and let's take a ride down this Dreamers Road. Vamanos, y'all. Hola, mis amigos. Stephanie Urbina-Jones here. I'm so excited to be here with y'all tonight. This is a new dream, my new baby that is coming to life tonight. I've always been a dreamer since I was a little girl. Mike, can you show us that picture of when I was a little girl? <laughs> there I am. That little girl, you guys, was born in San Antonio, Texas, in a bicultural home on the wrong side of the track, some say on the west side of San Antonio. What I remember from being a little girl was the love and the music. In many afternoons spending in the backyard with my abuelitos at 115 North Civilo, there would be country music playing on the radio, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Patsy Cline, all the classics of country music. And we'd be hearing bolero songs from Mexico wafting in on the radio there. And at the same time, we'd be hearing mariachis because they lived on the west side of San Antonio in our neighborhood. And ever since I was a little girl, I can just imagine those mariachis. They touched my heart. They brought so much joy and passion and love with their trajes, their beautiful outfits and their instruments. What were those instruments, vihuelas, violins, trumpets, guitar, and joy. My childhood was filled with so much joy in San Antonio. When I was about five years old, my parents divorced and my mom remarried a German and we moved to the little idyllic town of Fredericksburg, Texas in the hill country. And it was there that I never met a stranger, that I really was loved by this little town and our weekends were spent in honky-tonks. I literally lived across the street from Pat's Hall. Pat's Hall was a honky-tonk that George Strait used to play at for $5 when I was a little girl. And my favorite honky-tonk, where everybody was somebody, was Lukenbach, Texas. Margie, the sheriff, the bartender, was my babysitter. And I used to get to spread the sawdust across the, the floor before people danced every night and collect cans while my parents danced the night away. What I wanna share with y'all over the next months and years to come are many, many, many dreamers roads. The cosmic breadcrumbs, the things, the magic that happened for all kinds of creators from songwriters, publishers, creators of all kinds and the dreams that were in their heart that they brought to life by following their heart down their dreamer's road. Well, to make a long story short, that little girl grew up and many moons down the road, twists and turns, heartbreaks, divorce, children, a child, friends, songs later. My dreamer's road led me to my dream come true. This making history as the first artist on October the 2nd, 2018 to ever bring honky tonk mariachi to the Grand Ole Opry stage. You guys, I want to share this moment of my dreamer's road.
chills watching that you guys it was an amazing uh, night um, and it was worth dreaming a lifetime to live and I'm still living that dream and I, I look forward to sharing many more stories many heartbreaks along the way that led to every song and every moment that that got me there and 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 moving forward but I want to share with y'all now, I got to Nashville as fast as I could. You know, I was, I grew up in Texas, went to the University of Texas and got a degree. And the only thing that mattered to me really was music. Music had really touched my life as a, as a little kid. And I remember cresting uh, that the Nashville skyline and I headed down to Tootsie's on that first night. I carved my name in the bathroom wall down there on Lower Broadway. And I was here, you know, to create my destiny. I worked in many, for many people, I worked for Randy Scruggs. I worked at a, um, as a publicist when Garth Brooks was coming out, refugee management. And then I really discovered that I really wanted to be a songwriter. And I had that dream in my heart and Shay Smith and I would get together every Tuesday and we would write. And when I had a few songs that I thought were worthy and I put them into guitar vocal form, I marched on down and met with David Preston at BMI. And I went in there with my little cassette back in the day. He put it in and he listened to it. And I think he thought maybe there might be some promise here. He put that cassette in his pocket and he headed out the door to a number one party. You guys, that number one party that night happened to be none other than the hit songwriter, Jim McBride. Later that night, David Preston gave him my cassette and the next week I was offered my first writing deal with Delta's daughter, Sony ATV Tree. It is my great, great, great honor to introduce y'all and tell you a little bit about this amazing dreamer, Jim McBride. Jim is a member of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. He moved from his hometown of Huntsville, Alabama to Nashville to write songs full time after Conway Twitty took his song, A Bridge That Just Won't Burn, to number two on the country charts. Jim's first number one came the year he moved to Nashville when Johnny Lee recorded Bet Your Heart on Me. 
1983, his song Dixie Boy was on the CMA Album of the Year, The Closer You Get by the group Alabama. The 1980s, 90s, and the first decade of the new millennium brought dozens of chart singles and album cuts for McBride, including Rose in Paradise, Waylon Jennings' last number one song. In 1987, McBride began writing with a yet-to-be-discovered Alan Jackson. Their collaboration resulted in four number one songs for future Country Music Hall of Fame member Jackson and another dozen album cuts for Jackson and Randy Travis. Jim McBride has been awarded 14 BMI and ASCAP awards, including the 1994 ASCAP Song of the Year for Chattahoochee. He earned three awards from the Nashville Songwriters Association's International, as well as four Music City News Songwriter Awards. In 1995, McBride received the Music Creators Award from the Alabama Music Hall of Fame for his contributions to the music heritage of his home state. McBride has reaped five Song of the Year nominations from the Grammys, the Country Music Association, and the Academy of Country Music for his songs Chattahoochee and Angels in Waiting, a hit for Tammy Cochran. In 1994, Chattahoochee was named the CMA Song of the Year. McBride's songs have been recorded by Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, George Jones, Reba McIntyre, Jerry Lee Lewis, Charlie Pride, Travis Tritt, Toby Keith, Dwight Yoakam, the Oak Bridge, Oak Bridge Boys, Keith Whitley, Crystal Gale, Gene Watson, Trace Adkins, and Luke Bryan, and dozens of others, y'all. 20 members of the Country Music Hall of Fame have recorded his songs. Jim McBride has had numerous hits on gospel, bluegrass, and foreign charts. His songs are on over 70 million records sold worldwide. Ladies and gentlemen, please make welcome my first guest, Mr. Jim McBride. Hey, Steph, how are you? Hello, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's such an honor. You guys, this, this man right here was such a mentor to me, and I just, bottom line, love you. Love you. Love you. Well, you know what? When I signed you, Steph, it was kind of like I inherited a daughter. I had two sons, and all of a sudden, I had a, I had a writer, and I had a, I had a daughter too. I, I shared, uh, I shared that privilege with uh, Charles Jones, out in Texas. Uh, I have to ask you, a, I have to ask you a question first. Uh, what did you do? Uh, what did you do for uh, Randy? For Randy Scruggs, Scruggs uh -huh. I was his I was his uh, production assistant, his secretary. Um, right before it wasn't, you know, right before I got to you, I was working for him. And, you know, Jim, you would have been so upset with me. One time they were just coming out with those tiny um, microphones for for guitars. And he sent me in there to vacuum one afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what it took to get me to you. What can I say? He said, he said <laughs> you were, he said you were awful at your job. All you wanted to do was write songs. He said every time I turned around, she was writing a song. And he said, thank you for giving her a publishing deal. <laughs> well, I am so honored and so grateful that you're on here with me. And I just, you know, I want to share some of your your magic and some of your road with, with so many people, you know, there's so many people and no matter what we do in life that they just need a little faith, 
They need to hear somebody else's story to remember, to keep going, that those dreams in their heart are worthwhile. So I'm going to interview you, Mr. McBride. Okay. So as the story goes, and I love this story, you were a postman in Huntsville, Alabama. And 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 so I want to know you were writing songs back then and you made a deal with yourself, I guess, that you would only go to Nashville if you had a number one song. Yeah. And then that happened. So so tell us about that. Tell us about what it was like being a postman and were you writing songs and you know what that first song that got you here? Well, like you said, I was working at the post office and I wrote my first song at uh, 12 years old and the next one, I think when I was 18 and it was just kind of an off and on thing. And it got to the point where I, I was 33. Uh, I was 33 when I got to Nashville. So just, just before that, uh, I'd been getting some cuts and Conway Twitty cut a song called a bridge. It just won't burn that I'd written with Roger Murrow. And I knew if I was ever going to do it, that I had to do it then. I was sitting up to one or two o'clock in the morning writing songs and getting up at six o'clock in the morning and going to, to carry mail. I was habitually late. Uh, <laughs> you know, the shop steward, the union steward was saying, man, you have got to start getting here on time. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, I made a deal with myself that if, if Conway released a single and it didn't go number one, it went to number two, uh, that I would that I would quit my government job and move to Nashville, and and that's what I did January first, nineteen eighty one. Now I'd been working with uh, a publisher, uh, Bill Rice and Jerry Foster, who are members of the Songwriters Hall of Fame. I've been bringing songs to them, and I've been getting some album cuts, Mickey Gilly and and different people. And so uh, the first day I arrived in Nashville, I had a recording, I had a publishing deal. Excuse me. Oh, wow. Uh, I didn't have to do the other. I, I did my, I paid my dues before I got to Nashville. I didn't know I was going to have to pay some more. Uh, Conway went to number two in October of 1980. I moved there January 81, my family, we all moved up there. And October, I had my first number one with, with Johnny Lee, bet your heart on me. And I thought, man, I should have been here a long time ago. Six years later, after not having another big hit, uh, I had a lot of album cuts, but I couldn't get a hit. I'm going, uh, God, I thought you wanted me to be in Nashville. And <laughs> along about that time, uh, Waylon Jennings cut Rose in Paradise, and then went number one. About long, Along about that time, I met Randy Travis, and I thought, dear Lord, let, uh, let this guy get a record deal. He was like Merle Haggard or something to me. And so mm -hmm. then luckily, I was there in 1989 when it took off it was uh it was clint black and garth and alan and oh gosh every day it was like a great new artist and it, <laughs> it was amazing well that thank you for sharing that that's i really appreciate that and i forgot about the six years of drought or i know it wasn't a drought but it was maybe like a drip you know it was just like not really the the you, music, you might have questioned yeah. yourself. Yeah, the yeah. music kind of the, the went semi-pop there uh, because of the uh, urban cowboy thing. The music kind of changed, and I'm a hillbilly songwriter. 
I write country songs. <laughs> and so I, I would get on these albums and I'd have the country song on there knowing I wasn't going to get a single. But uh, Waylon, Waylon pulled me out of that. And then when the, when the Neo Cowboys came to town, Hillbillies, uh, things took off like a rocket. I met Alan along about that yeah. time too. Well, let's talk about that, Jim. Tell us about, I mean, you guys, I don't know if you know, but right about this time he's talking about, he met up and coming unknown artist, Alan Jackson. And they pinned together, chasing that neon rainbow, Chattahoochee, who says you can't have it all and someday. Tell us, Jim, what was it like? What was it like when you first met Alan? Where did y'all write? Tell us about it. Uh, I was writing for SBK, which had been previously CBS songs, uh, and then later would become EMI. And I saw this tall guy with some cheap cowboy boots and a big cowboy hat on at the office <laughs> a couple of times. And we would just nod. And uh, he was riding with a, a, a rider there named Charlie Craig. And so I got a phone call one day from Alan and, and uh, he, he wanted to know if I would write with him. He said, I'm familiar with, with your stuff. Uh, I'd had a Keith Whitley cut and, and some other stuff that, that he was familiar with. And I said, sure. So, uh, we got together at the publishing house and the publishing house is where Dolly and Christopherson and all those guys used to write at combine music. So we get together up on the third floor. I love to tell this story. Uh, we weren't even supposed to be up there. The fire marshal said it's a safe, it's a safety hazard, but we get together up there and we talk and find out that we both love Vern Gosden and George Jones and, and, uh, you know, all of that, and, and he's from Georgia, I'm from Alabama, uh, the Chattahoochee River divides those two states. So anyway, this was before Chattahoochee. Anyway, uh, I played him a song I'd written for my mom and dad called Dixie Boy that Alabama had recorded. And he played me a song called Home, which would be a single for him later on. And I knew immediately we were gonna hit it off. I mm. didn't know how well we would, but uh, I think the first song we wrote, I'd had this song in my notebook, my idea book for two years, chasing that neon rainbow, living that honky-tonk dream, but I never did that. I was never in a band. I never played solo at the coffee shop or anywhere else, and uh, so he's telling me about traveling to Arkansas and Florida in this old uh, Dodge van he had, uh, and he said, you know, by the time I go and we play like six sets or something, like six or eight sets a night, and I pay for gas and pay the band, I'm not making any money. At that point, he was making $50 a week writing songs. Uh, oh, Campbell. Luckily for him, he had a Copa, uh, uh, which <laughs> served him very well later on. But uh, the first song we wrote was Chasing That Neon Rainbow, and we just continued to write from time to time. And when his first album came out, uh, I had a song on Travis Tritt's album. When those two albums came out, for me, it was like, wow, you know, I'm not in the hole anymore. <laughs> and it just kind of went from there. And I, I will say this, I, I went on the road with him when it got so busy that, that we couldn't ride in town anymore. I started going on the road. And it hit me one night. Uh, in West Virginia, Wheeling, West Virginia, 
I, I remembered when he was making $50 writing songs mm -hmm. and we were getting on his Learjet uh, at the airport up on top of the mountain. It's two in the morning and there are two or 300 fans screaming at the fence. And I thought, <laughs> this guy's a superstar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I just love that. Thank you for sharing that. That whole picture, that whole experience from $50 and, yeah. you know, because if you, if anybody, no matter who you are, if you've got a dream, it will make you crazy because it will just live in you and you just got to keep going till you can't keep going. So, and you know, that's when I met you. So I got to witness a little bit of that and just. Well, let, me, let me tell you, the cause of the success and, and I mean, things were just, it was Oh, it's Randy Travis. I'm getting all these great album cuts. And, and during that time period, if you got on a major artist label album and they had one hit, you probably got a gold or a platinum record. And that was happening almost every week. And so because of that, I never had a co-pub deal. Uh, I always, my co-publishing was signed away. I decided it was time for me to get a publishing deal. And so along with that, because I was making them hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, and I, thought, <laughs> I, need, I need part of this. So I asked for a publishing deal and I asked to start a co-pub with them. I didn't have a writer in mind, but I had just, I had just signed that contract so that I could start a co-publishing deal with them when I got your tape. You know, you know, all of this is timing. <laughs> yes. And meant to be's and meant to be's, right? I mean, like, just meant to be. I, it's just I, that's why it was important for me to share my story and how I met you because it was meant to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, timing, the timing couldn't have been better. I could have been a better publisher, but the timing was good. You were a great publisher. I, I still am doing what I love to do, and and those songs are still in your catalog and. We're just going to see what's going to happen in the future. But back to you, back to you, Jim. <laughs> I know it's hard because you're like a father to me. But I want to ask you again, it was a magic time. And Arista Records was a big part of that. You know, you, you were saying Alan was Alan Jackson, Brooks and Dunn, Pam Tillis, Black Hawk, Leroy Parnell. You, they were just knocking it out of the park. There was something going on in the water over there at Arista Records. What was it like to be in that winter circle? And did you buy a boat? It was not a bad boat. I bought, started buying condos at the beach. I remember. <laughs> I, I've never, I've never, uh, I never owned a boat, and I thought that was not a good time to start. Uh, I could see me uh, sinking the boat, but uh, <laughs> you know. Everybody, everybody that wants to do what we do should get to experience something like that. I got to see a guy go from unknown to being in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Uh, the going along for that ride was was really something, and then the ride that that we all took uh, during the the nineties. Oh my goodness, it was a party! It was a party every week. Yeah, I remember. I remember uh, Alan had had two or three showcases and nobody would sign him. And I remember uh, he had a showcase at Douglas Corner and Tim DeWaugh came and sat down behind me before the show started. And, and I, I turned around and I said, Tim, this guy's a star. And he said, well, I love, I love his demos. 
his songs. And so that's the night that, that Tim decided he was the one that he wanted to be the first signee. And I think at that time, it was just him and Ramona Simmons. Uh, uh, there could have been, uh, Mike Dungan may have been there, but I'm not sure. As far as I knew, it was only those two employees. So I got to see that go from two or three employees to like a big staff for Arista Records. And then these new artists kept coming along, uh, Brooks and Dunn even eventually. And so, like I say, it was, gosh, it was like a party. It was like a party uh, every week, almost. And I, I thought, you better enjoy this because this will probably never, ever happen for you again. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful that it happened for you and that I got to meet you. And that. And is there anything that you would like to share with anybody about the Dreamers Road? Is it worth it for you? Is there any advice you have to give to anybody? Well, you just... I, I tell, I've done a lot of seminars and things, and I tell these young writers, unless you feel like it's not in your heart and it's not in your head, it's in your stomach. If you want it so badly that it bends you over double <laughs> from wanting to do it, then you get a plan and, and you go where you want to hunt tigers, go where the tigers are. Come play with the big boys and girls. Okay. And let's see, see if you got what it takes. Uh, and then, if you don't feel that strongly about it, don't do it. Uh, <laughs> just just don't do it. But if you feel that strongly about it, that you're going to die if you don't do it, then you better come on and give it a shot while you're young and uh, and give it give it your best shot. I knew that you were finding your way. During during all this process, I could see you moving more and more towards what who you are and what you're doing today. And you know what? You've made some real inroads. Are you still there? I'm still here. Uh huh. You were saying, as you were saying, you were saying that I was finding my way. Yes, you were finding your way uh, towards what you're doing now. You know. Well, thank you for being my first believer, my cosmic breadcrumb, and um, I just loved you so much, and. Um, Thank you so much, Jim. And thank you. Let's write a song. Okay. Maybe I'm <laughs> retired, but who knows? Okay. Thank you, thank you so much. Tell Jeannie I said hello. I will. Love you. Love you. Bye bye. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us here on the Dreamers Road. As you can see, it's been a touching interview with Jim McBride, hit songwriter. And I hope what you're hearing and feeling is that if you have a dream in your heart and it's truly calling you to keep going, to keep having the faith. And even when those times when the road is falling out from underneath you, here comes the next miracle. At the same time that I was writing for Jim McBride, I was his only writer at his publishing company, Delta's daughter at Sony HEB Tree. I got a phone call that would forever change my life. Um, my little abuelita called me. I was writing songs in East Nashville, sitting on my front porch with Mark Marchetti. And my uh, abuelita, Virginia, calls me and she says, Mija, she says, I'm dying.
just like that. And she'd been talking about passing for a few years, you know, but I knew in that moment that it was true, that this was it for her. So I flew to San Antonio and my dad and my Theo, my uncle Rudy and I, we had the great honor of midwifing her between this world and the next. She was talking to my grandfather on the other side and she'd come back and she'd talk to me. And it was during this time that she took my hand and she said, mija, which means little girl in Spanish. She says, mija, you are going to be a mensajera. You are going to be a messenger. You're going to be carrying country music with chili peppers all over the world. I said, I can't do that, Grandma. I, I can't. I'm a songwriter. She says, mija, you're going to. Anyway, before my abuelita passed from this world to the next, she heard this song written by me and Mark Marchetti, La Reina de Los Angeles, The Queen of the angels. Play it, Mike.
cantando se alegra, cielito lindo, los corazones. There she is, La Reina de Los Angeles, Virginia Urbina Jones, the woman that inspired so much of my dreamer's road. Well, you guys, we're moving into the next segment to Honky Tonk Trivia. Everybody get ready. See if you know these Honky Tonk Trivia questions. All right. You can answer us and let us know what you think. This so we want to honor the honky tonk hero Jim McBride and Alan Jackson, of course. So the first question in the honky tonk trivia tonight is, what was Alan Jackson's first job in Nashville? Was it a was he a salesman at the Boot Barn in Goodlettsville? Was he b a bartender on Lower Broad? C, did he work in the mailroom at the Nashville Network? Or D, the extra in Randy Travis's video, Digging Up Bones? So I'm going to do, you know, do, 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 do. You guys, be sure and answer online right there. Mike's going to share with me what folks are saying. Has anybody got any answers? Was he a salesman at the boot barn in Goodlettsville? Bartender on Lower Broad? Mailroom at the Nashville Network? Or an extra in Randy Travis's video, Digging Up Bones? Well, Jeremy Pager, Jeremy Pager, C, Mailroom at the Nashville Network. You are right, sir. You win the first game tonight of the trivia. Here's our second question for the night. Chattahoochee is just one of the numerous songs written by Alan Jackson and Jim McBride. Where was this song written? A, at the publisher's writing room on Music Row. B, at their individual homes. Alan and Jim collaborated by email overnight. C, on the road in three different cities? Or D, Lake Seminole, the, ter the terminus of the Chattahoochee River? So you guys, let us know. Folks, go ahead and type your answers in. We want to know. With Chattahoochee, where was the song written? At the publisher's writing room on Music Row? At their individual homes? Collaborated by email overnight? on the road in three different occasions. Do we have a winner out there? Is it A, B, C, or D, Lake Seminole, the terminus of the Chattahoochee River? Well, I'm gonna tell you the answer. Don Dugart! Don Dugart said, Lake Seminole, the terminus of the Chattahoochee River. Guess what, Don? Nope. It's C. The answer is on the road in three different cities. It says the song was written in three different cities while Alan Jackson was on tour and Jim joined him on the road. Tallahassee, Pensacola, Florida, and Thibodeau, Louisiana. 
Thank you, Preston Sullivan. You got it right. Thank you, Don Dugart, for weighing in and Jeremy Pager. Well, you guys, I'm really excited. Within the next week or so, we are going to be having new honky-tonk mariachi merchandise for sale. I want to show you all a little video. You can see what's coming down the pike. You'll be able to get it in my store. Everything honky-tonk-mariachi.com. Check it out, y'all. We hope you're enjoying this broadcast of Dreamers Road with Stephanie Urbina-Jones and the Honky Tonk Mariachi. You can support the Dreamers Road through music and merchandise. Visit www.honkytonkmariachi.com. Well, I hope you're enjoying this program, you guys, this broadcast of the Dreamers Road. We've come to the end of the road tonight. I want to thank my special guest, Jim McBride, hit songwriter, dear friend. And I want to thank all of you for watching and enjoying the show. We'll be coming to you every two weeks. So tune in. And you guys, as I always say, any dream is worth dreaming a lifetime to live. Muchisimas gracias. Adios, mis amigos. And we'll see you down the road. Adios. grandmother was passing from this world to the next. She took my hand. She was talking to my grandfather on the other side and she was talking to me. And she said, Niha, you're going to be making country music with chili peppers. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me to live this dream. Muchísimas gracias, y'all. Thank you for watching The Dreamer's Road with Stephanie Urbina-Jones and the Honky Tonk Mariachi. You can keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and by everything at honkytonkmariachi.com. Remember, above all, some dreams are worth dreaming a lifetime to live. Muchísimas gracias. Adios, mis amigos.